SCP-2664, Redline. There's a common proverb that says that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The idea is that sometimes those who intend to do good things often end up doing far worse things than they intended, or they intentionally do horrific or evil things with good intentions in mind. It's a concept that crops up now and again in the SCP universe, as the SCP Foundation often does some pretty questionable stuff with the best of intentions. In a universe where plenty of different groups and individuals encounter or meddle with forces beyond their control or understanding, there's of course going to be unintended consequences, even if they think they're doing a good thing. SCP-2664 is an instance where some people tried to make the best of a bad order, with the end result being even worse. SCP-2664 is a psionic eigenweapon developed by GRU Division P, the anomalous investigation branch of the Soviet Union. It was developed on the orders of the then General Secretary Joseph Stalin between 1950 and 1961 under the name Project Redline, with the intention of acting as a psychic deterrent that would immediately brainwash the global populace into following the tenets of Soviet socialism. However, GRU Division P secretly designed it instead to mitigate and remove human tendencies towards violence. Physically, the weapon consisted of three Ukrainian triplets suffering from an extremely rare form of conjoinment, where their bodies are all joined at the head and thorax. In this case, each of their heads faced a separate direction, while their bodies joined at the navel. They possessed three arms total and six legs, although the extent of their internal conjoinment remains unknown. Psionically, they act as a single gestalt entity with three mental subdivisions, a control division, effector division, and receptor division, pertaining to their physical selves, enabling it to perceive and interact with its environment. It's capable of self-levitation and long-range manipulation of objects that weigh up to 100 kilograms, although its psionic capabilities are primarily for affecting other sentient and sapient beings around it. Unshielded sentient organisms that come within a certain distance of the weapon, originally 100 meters, then 3 kilometers, and then 5 kilometers, will be subjected to severely altered brain chemistry and tissue mutation, particularly in the thalamus, prefrontal cortex, amygdala, hippocampus, and septum. Sapient beings then undergo a dramatic shift in personality, experiencing a 90% decrease in hormones linked to aggression and a general depression of the sympathetic nervous system. This induces an aversion to witnessing and engaging in violence, a severely diminished acute stress response, and a strongly negative reaction towards all forms of weaponry. 
Non-sapient beings, such as mice, suffer rapid-onset spongiform encephalitis and toxic sulfate buildup, dying within minutes. Mentally, the entity is thought to possess the equivalent intelligence and disposition of a 6-10 year old child, with its mental state likely having been adversely affected by GRU Division P's conditioning and training, which included electroshock therapy, attempted hypnosis, and exposure to large quantities of Soviet propaganda. The weapon was created in the former GRU Division P psionic research facility, and until its transformation into an anomaly during the Foundation's first exploratory mission, the facility was designed and built in such a way as to diminish the strength of all psionic transmissions within the structure by 99.5%. To this end, it incorporated materials such as Electrum into the insulation, and its layout was designed to maximize reflection and dissipation of psionic transmissions within the structure. The majority of the Foundation's knowledge of the weapon comes from a former Division P researcher, designated Iceman, who led numerous research and development projects for the Division, including the development of SCP-2664. On December 25th, 1962, Iceman defected to the Foundation, bringing with him thousands of classified Division documents and records encompassing a slew of different projects and initiatives, including 2664. The Soviet government officially denied knowledge of the existence of both the project and the facility, and as a result, the Foundation implicitly assumed custody of both. We're provided a transcript of an interview with Iceman, who begins by saying that he was a project manager in the Psychotronics Division of the Main Intelligence Directorate. When asked about Project Redline, he says that officially it was an initiative commissioned by Stalin in 1950 to create an ultra-powerful psychic weapon, one that could mentally convert people to follow the tenets of Marxism-Leninism doctrine. However, almost all of the members of the Psychotronics Division, including him, were veterans of World War II. More than 20 million Soviets died in that war, and no one in the Division, not even the chain of command, were eager to build another weapon so soon. Instead, they dreamed of freeing mankind from the necessity to make and use weapons at all, and so they secretly designed Redline to convert people into pacifists. This was all done in complete secrecy, of course, as the KGB would have killed or shipped everyone off to a gulag if they caught even a whiff of it. The process of creating Redline was complex as they had to distill more than 20 years of psionics research and theory into a workable engineering problem. The basic theory was that the psionic capabilities of humans were limited by their bodies, and so a child might have a thousand times more potential psionic energy than an adult, but only be able to practically output a tenth as much due to their underdeveloped body. They hypothesized that by subjecting a capable mind to massive psychological trauma and then inducing brain death, the person's mind, associated consciousness, 
and all of their psionic potential would disassociate from the body at the moment of death. They could then lock that mind into a controllable avatar. They initially tested and then refined the process on political prisoners, and once they were confident with their methodology, they began to look for children, since they were more malleable and easily trained. They struck gold in 1960, when the KGB brought in a set of conjoined triplets, horribly deformed and yet immensely capable. They determined that it was almost entirely their psionic abilities that was keeping them alive. They spent another year assessing and measuring the triplets' psionic abilities until they were finally ready to proceed. Over the course of 48 hours, they treated them with massive dosages of LSD, forced them to watch specially made propaganda, and then electrocuted them to death. The triplets' consciousnesses then disassociated, and they were able to capture them thanks to a redacted device. Iceman wants to make it clear that he is not proud of what they did, but he did it because he believed that their sacrifice would change the world for the better. The interviewer asks how they controlled and operated Redline, but Iceman's response is entirely redacted from the transcript. They move on to asking how Redline was tested, to which Iceman says they tested it a total of five times. The first four times they brought it in front of increasingly larger groups of incarcerated violent criminals, activated it, and then asked them to attack people whom they claimed had had them incarcerated. The fourth time, they brought Redline in front of the entire population of the Norlog Gulag, 50,000 of the most vicious criminals known to man. All of them dropped their makeshift knives and refused to move an inch, even as they threw the gates of the camp wide open. The fifth test involved using Redline on both Nikita Khrushchev and John F. Kennedy during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Even 10,000 kilometers away, in the middle of a remote mountain range, they were following the events in Cuba. They were certain that nuclear war was inevitable, and all their work would be for naught. They were terrified for humanity, so they fired Red Line on Moscow, 4,000 kilometers away, and then on Washington, twice as far. They had no idea if it actually worked, as all they cared about was that war had been averted. He then says that perhaps they even caused their own downfall. Less than a week after the crisis ended, Khrushchev ordered that the division be closed down and all of its projects destroyed or put into storage. Psychotronics command was furious, as it meant that they were almost entirely impotent in Soviet politics. They brought in a new psychic and ordered them to rework Redline into a more aggressive state. Iceman supposes that this was inevitable as with Redline, they could strip entire armies of the will to fight, to resist, to breathe. They were to perform a conjunction, implanting Redline's consciousness into the new prisoner and then disassociating it again, 
drastically amplifying its powers, but for conquest. He was disgusted by the idea, as it was a betrayal of the ideals for which they and the children had sacrificed so much. He decided to defect instead, and was lucky enough to have near unlimited access to the entire Division P library, and need to leave for Berlin during the week of Christmas. Those were the most terrifying weeks of his life, and he left for Berlin on the week that they were doing the conjunction process, fleeing and coming here. Following aerial reconnaissance of the mountain range and confirmation of the existence of the psionics research facility, eight members of MTF Lambda 9, Mind Over Matter, were sent in to investigate. All members of the team were equipped with Keter-grade anti-psionic equipment and experimental hollow-cavity firearms for inflicting maximum cerebral damage. Additionally, two of the members possessed scouting and offensive-grade psionic capabilities, one of them an experienced agent that had been team leader for 11 years, the other a new agent. The team is airdropped into the mountains, approximately 2.5 kilometers away from the facility, with a storm gradually forming over the area and lowering visibility. The team leader informs command that they might lose reception in this blizzard, and then tells the rest of the team that the plan is for six of them to go check out the facility, while the other two remain here to keep an eye on the helicopter. As the six approach, the two psionic members each report a sudden migraine as they travel nearer to the facility. As it comes into view, the team leader reports to command that it matches Iceman's description, being a big block of concrete with small windows and vents near the top. They can see three guard towers around the building, and the new psionic agent just performed a basic mental sweep not picking up any living things outside of the facility. The team gets the main door open, and they head inside, at which point contact is lost with the entire infiltration team. Five minutes later, one of the two agents remaining at the helicopter experiences a psionic sensation, allowing the team leader to use them to communicate from inside the facility. The leader reports that all of their radio equipment died as soon as they walked in, but his and the other psionic agents' capabilities are going crazy. They can still sense the two agents at the helicopter, but don't know how far away they are, and there's something different here that's allowing him to tap into one of the agents. He's not sure how to describe it, but it feels like something is spying on them. The team is standing on a double helix, vertically, and the moment they walked through the door, they were standing perpendicular to it. It's orange, green, purple, and red, and it just keeps going into this large, empty white space. He can't see a horizon, but there's a bunch of these orbs floating off in the distance. They're all kinds of colors, but he can't tell how far away they are. He's not even sure if they're that far away, but the helix just keeps going forever, not getting smaller. 
The door they came in is floating about three meters above them, and they can see the snow outside. One of the agents is going to try jumping up there, but after a brief pause, the agent that the leader is speaking through suddenly screams, and the leader begins swearing. He tells Command that the agent tried jumping up to the door, but as soon as he jumped, it was like gravity suddenly came back. He couldn't make the jump and fell, past the helix, and they can't see him anymore. He can still sense him though, as he's still falling and screaming. The team decides to continue forward to try and find another way out of here, and possibly find the falling agent at some point. Three hours go by until the leader reports that they found something as the helix branches off into a doorway. He can see inside, and it looks to be a lab of some type, but after entering, they see that the only way out of it is back through the way they came. They decide to poke around the lab a bit, noting plenty of dusty tables with scientific equipment on them. The power still seems to be on though, and they find a dead Russian in the corner of the room, sitting in a chair in front of an oscilloscope. The top of his skull is gone, and his brain is stretched out like silly putty, jammed into all of the equipment nearby. He isn't showing any signs of decomposition, however, aside from the dust. They scrape some of his brain off the wall as a sample, and decide to rest here for a few hours. In the meantime, the two agents out by the helicopter are forced to evacuate due to the worsening weather conditions. The psionics division recommends various breathing and meditation techniques to the two to lessen the demands of the psionic connection, and they return after the weather clears. As they do so, one of them gets taken over again, this time by the new psionic agent, who tells them that they've been trying to make contact for hours. They've been still waiting in the lab in the meantime, but are now going to continue down the helix. He mentions that he can still hear the falling agent screaming, and a couple of hours later says that they saw the agent falling past them. They're going to continue on, but they'll try to catch him if he comes by again. The team soon finds another door, leading to what seems to be another lab. Three of the team head in to check it out, and the agent asks Command if they spoke to Iceman at all about what's going on here, but he disavowed all knowledge of the current state of the facility, even under intense interrogation. Inside the second lab, it looks to be similar to the first initially, but soon the agent reports that there are eight bodies in the lab. The real concern with this, however, is that the corpses resemble the eight members of the MTF, all wearing lab coats. They take some samples, but the psionic agent takes a break for several minutes outside of the lab, until he says that they're going to continue along the helix. Two hours later, they hear from the agent again, as the team found another door. Two of the agents go check it out, while the rest wait for the falling agent. 
20 minutes later, the psionic agent says that he can feel the falling agent approaching. Something's wrong though, as it feels like he's falling directly towards them, and it feels like he's faking his screams now. The team takes their safeties off as the falling agent comes into view, approaching them directly, but he's naked now and his arms are stretched out. The psionic agent notes that his screaming isn't getting louder, but rather that it's getting flatter. Suddenly, the agent out by the helicopter that they've been using to communicate through goes limp. He returns to consciousness a few minutes later and begins speaking immediately. The other agent outside asks what happened, and it turns out that it's currently one of the non-psionic agents speaking without explanation as to how. Command asks the agent to say the passcode to confirm that it's actually him, which he does. The agent isn't sure how they're communicating psionically either, suggesting that maybe he's absorbing the psionic energy in this place. Three of the other agents are gone, including the fresh psionic agent, and the team leader can't sense them at all. The agent speaking and the team leader were the ones checking out the door when the rest of the team saw the falling agent, so they're unclear as to what exactly happened. The two decide to continue on, possibly to try and find Redline, or a way outside. A few hours go by, until the agents report that it's getting darker and more washed out inside of the facility, remarking on it feeling heavier now. The agent's head is starting to hurt, and it smells like roasting human flesh. The agent reports that the sky has now gone black, but there's still plenty of orbs hanging around like jack-o'-lanterns. It feels like walking through a concentration camp, and the team leader says that he's sensing a lot of death echoes of a lot of people dying at once. The orbs then suddenly start to go dark as well, and the burning smell is getting worse. Then, everything becomes tiled, as if they're standing in some kind of giant doctor's office, and they see the rest of the team floating towards them. The agent outside then begins speaking in Russian, seemingly of a doctor speaking to the three redline triplets, telling them that this won't take long, and they are making them proud. They're going to begin the disassociation process now, and the doctor promises them that it won't hurt, giving them some sugar candies and juice. Then the other agent outside begins speaking, with the team leader speaking now. He reports that the other agent was absorbed by the rest of the team, and he started floating in the middle of them until all of their brains burst out and mushed together. In response, he ran, but he can still feel it, and says that the thing spying on them is Redline. The other agent continues to speak in Russian, saying that they're making them so proud, and they need them to be peaceful. He tells them that they hate fighting, because it's mean, and it's fun to not be mean. 
The leader says that this entire place, including the facility, the helixes, and the team, are all part of this thing's mind. They've been inside of it this whole time, and it's absorbed everything. It's all around him, and it's toying with him. The Russian voice says to stop and give in, as resisting is bad, and they'll be punished if they resist. The leader says that it's trying to open him up, like it did everyone else. He can see into it though, and says that it's learning from them, and it knows all about the squad and the foundation. They're almost on him, and says that it's the conjunction. The last thing it knew before it died was that the scientists wanted it to conjunct, so it wants to make them part of it. He tells Command not to come back here, as it wants to make the whole world part of it. Communications then ceased with the two agents out by the helicopter, and simultaneously all members of the psionics division reported feeling a sudden compulsion to visit the mountain range, with several reporting that this was the first time they'd ever heard of it. At the same time, aerial reconnaissance of the range showed that the facility had abruptly disappeared and been replaced by an opaque, multicolored sphere, approximately 5 kilometers in diameter, centered on its original location. Subsequent attempts to investigate the sphere resulted in rapid growth of the sphere and the losses of all personnel involved. Based on the final logs transmitted by the MTF, as well as Redline's original documentation, the psionics division eventually devised the current method of containment, involving sending psionically stunted personnel and psionically dampening materials into the anomaly to slow its growth. For some time, the radius of the sphere increased at a rate of 1.5% per month, until December 25th, 2000, when the psionics division detected an unexpectedly high emission of psionic energy from the area, which resulted in the brain death of all humans within a 200 kilometer radius. At the same time, satellite footage showed the sphere growing at an abnormally high rate. All attempts to halt the growth failed and Overwatch Command was informed of an impending YK-class end-of-the-world scenario. The following day, Foundation satellites observed a GOC weaponized satellite firing a spherical payload into the sphere. For the next 13 minutes, large quantities of radiation were emitted by the sphere, after which the sphere abruptly dematerialized leaving only the spherical payload behind. Through unknown means, the payload then lifted into the air and escaped into the atmosphere. Following the event, no radiation or psionic energy could be detected in the area, and expeditions into the area were successful without issue. A few days later, SCP-2664 was reclassified as neutralized. 
preliminary reports regarding the nature of the payload deployed by the GOC suggests that it is a demonics-based eigenweapon with the internal codename Gaius Prime. Further investigation is ongoing. So to summarize everything then, Stalin wanted GRU Division P to make a psychic weapon that could simply convert the rest of the world into communists. The members of the Psychotronics Division, however, wanted to end wars, and decided to make a weapon to convert everyone into pacifists. They did this by taking conjoined triplets and killing them, while subjecting them to massive psychological trauma, drugs, and propaganda. At the time of their death, they then managed to capture the triplets' disassociated consciousnesses, putting it into the weapon. This process seemed to work pretty perfectly, easily turning 50,000 vicious criminals into pacifists, and potentially bringing a stop to the Cuban Missile Crisis from across the world. Afterwards though, Khrushchev ordered that the whole division be closed down, enraging Psychotronics Command. In response, they brought in a new psychic and ordered the division to make Redline more aggressive, as it could be an incredibly powerful weapon. They were to perform a conjunction, implanting Redline's consciousness into the new prisoner and then disassociating it again, amplifying its powers and turning it towards conquest. This ended up being the big problem, as it absorbed everyone at the facility and anyone that approached it. It set its sights on the entire world and eventually it began to expand outwards, with the Foundation having no way to stop it. In comes the GOC, however, who dropped a demonic weapon right into it. Within minutes, the demon neutralized Redline and flew off into the atmosphere. In the end, then, the problem wasn't necessarily that they tried to use this weapon to spread pacifism although that idea has its own problems as well. The real threat came when those same people wanted to more forcefully enact said pacifism, creating a voracious anomaly that was worse than the original concept. It's rare for a group such as Division P to have a subsect of their members that defy orders to do their own thing, but perhaps it's even rarer that the GOC swoops in to save the day.